Okay. Before we get into it, I just wanted to give a little ASMR for the polo community. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah. What's up, Polo people? Welcome to the North Sides Polo Podcast. Gavin here with, of course, Alex. Hey, what's up? And what Polo Podcast would be complete without a little bit of Liam? Oh, you had me there for a second. I know, I know. You didn't think I was going to say your name. You thought I forgot about you, but I can never I was worried forget. I got fired. I can never forget the padlock, shutting people <laughs> down. Anyways, let's get on to this podcast. We got a lot to talk about today, and it's going to start with some news. Alex, why don't you tell us the big news this week? So it's finally happened. I uh, I finally did it. The much-awaited carbon fiber fork has arrived. I think I, I said earlier that it has arrived, but all the pieces I needed to assemble it on my polo bike finally came in, and I finally had enough time to not only... Uh, I actually built the bike. That's the news. The news is I built my bike. It's got carbon fiber seat seat post uh it's got a new saddle that courtesy of dan thank you very much dan uh it's got yeah it's got carbon it so i spent 40 dollars on a set of richie wcs edition knockoff parts from aliexpress so 40 dollar <laughs> carbon fiber bars stem and seat post as a combination okay. and let me tell you they're light they're really light <laughs> they are I, I am more nervous about this now that I, I have put my weight on them and seen them. Uh, the bars are light. They they feel, they weigh probably as much as the Richie WCS real carbon weighs. Uh, I think the bars I'm the most confident in, they actually seem pretty legit. They're super light. They're super stiff. Somehow the metal in the seat post clamp and the stem, they must have used steel. It is outrageously heavy especially compared to the extremely light carbon fiber that the rest of it's made out of so they're absolutely not legit uh which obviously they were 40 dollars, but they are uh i think if they use steel then the strength is in the right place right the clamps i actually they're super heavy i feel pretty safe with these clamps so i'm not too worried about that i'm not too worried about the bars they they're on the light side but this brings me to my point the I think it was about a hundred dollars shipped carbon fork, which fits. It, it's almost identical to the fixed craft fork. Um, it's got the the brake lockouts. Everything about this fork, I was actually really excited for. I thought the quality looked good. It feels super stiff. The specs are exactly what they were advertised. There's one thing I have to say was a bit <laughs> of a problem. <laughs> it broke. Might might no. be the deal breaker. Well. You're not as wrong as I wish you were. So the dropouts for the actual wheel to get mounted, one of them is perfect. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the other one has uh, a little bit of excess material. There's supposed to be these little eyelets that it will keep your quick release wheel in uh, if it ever comes loose. One of them came perfectly formed. The other one it kind of got mashed into, it looks like the mold was maybe broken or something. It kind of just turned the dropout into this uh, wavy blump that you actually couldn't fit a uh, a wheel into. So 
I had to Dremel out. I had to Dremel out oh the dropout God. a little bit. There's a little bit of excess material. Dremeling a new carbon fork, never where you want to be. But I was pretty much convinced that this was just excess material. And I think it was fine. The only problem yeah, is... a bit of a spit it, of priest. It also made it so that the the wheel doesn't sit straight in the fork. Like it's it's not a like where you tighten the bolt down. That's not level. So it's kind of at an angle and it doesn't really secure that well. And when I first went to tighten it, a little bit of the dropout cracked off. A little bit. Just just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. We should have a disclaimer <laughs> before this section. Don't try this at home. Well, I mean, the whole reason the whole reason we were trying this is because I wanted to I was like, look, if you can get a hundred dollar carbon fork that's awesome for polo, that's sweet. And we gotta let the people know. At this point, I <laughs> I don't really recommend the fork. I think the rest of the components turned out pretty okay. The fork, I'm a, my confidence is shook because when I first put the wheel in, I heard a crunching noise and a little bit of the dropout came out. There's enough of the dropout in there now, and I've dremeled it down so that it's pretty level. It rips. Okay, the geometry, I put it on the T1 frame. The geometry feels amazing. This bike is at least half the weight of my Ad Astra. Like, it is absolutely ridiculous and feels incredible. You had never used that T1 before. So you put it on a Trek bike, right? T1? Yeah, I put it on the Trek T1. Historic storied polo frames in existence. So you've really lightened up. You've gone from a steel Ad Astra to an aluminum Trek T1, and then you've just decided, hey, let's throw some carbon parts on this and see how long it lasts. Yeah. So I I am very confident in everything except for the fork at this point. Hmm. It's also worth noting that I the way the mounts on this fork are, the bolts that I had didn't let me run my rotor guard, but I can get longer bolts and that won't be an issue. Hmm. So for, as of right now, my rotor guard isn't on it. Uh, but I mean, I'm just solo poloing anyway, so I don't think that's going to be an issue. You're going to need a fork guard. <laughs> yeah <laughs> knowing how often you smash your wheel alex i think the rotor guard might be an issue <laughs> so i did a couple endos and it was fine but then backing up after an endo i think i sent you guys the video in the chat it made this awful cracking noise <laughs> just yeah. awful cracking noise and i i'm gonna set up the camera and i'm just gonna stress test the crap out of this thing and whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen so if it survives the stress test that I'm going to put it through, then I will recommend this fork to those willing to Dremel out the dropouts. But uh, I'm not too confident at this point. So you think it's like an inherent design flaw? It's not just a one-off uh, bad... Uh, it's not just a manufacturing error. Yeah. It's just what you get what you pay for, pretty much. Yeah, That's you get the what lesson you pay. here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> our, and, our sample size is small here. It's one, yeah. but it's 100% the wrong way at this point. I, I, so. I will also say the biggest thing, one of the other big things I was testing too was just AliExpress. So part of why it took so long to get everything in was because the first order I put in, I ordered the fork and I ordered all the carbon components with it. And the company only shipped the fork. So... <laughs> I did get reimbursed for all the components that they didn't ship. And I was like, okay, I guess, but it was like in credit. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll try ordering these components from somewhere else and see how it goes. And they took about three months to arrive, uh, but they made it. And they're, I mean, for 40 bucks, I think this is the highest quality components I've ever put on a bike for $40. Okay, there we go. Should we uh, get to the main entree of our podcast today? 
We got a game for you all, and I think Alex is revved up about this. It was his choice, so why don't you introduce the game for everyone listening? Okay, so the game we're looking at this week is the World Hardcourt Bike Polo Championship 7 from Timaru, New Zealand. This is the grand finals. This game was actually live broadcast, and they had a multiple camera setup. We had play-by-play commentary. If I think this might be the highest production value in a finals video that we've had yet. And just shout out to everyone at Timur that made that happen. Cause when we talked to Mike, we know it was a lot of work. Yeah. I would say for me watching this game and having, well, obviously I was there during our talk with Mike, but then actually watching the video and, and I was realizing a lot of the things he was talking about and yeah, they put on a crazy good tournament. Like the, the quality of the video, the commentating, and it's all just like super well put together. The yeah. song intro. The song intro. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. So yeah, I would recommend if anyone hasn't listened to our interview with Mike, they go do that. Yeah, definitely. So the year is 2016. Call Me Daddy has won two world titles. And there hasn't been a world championship without Call Me Daddy since 2010. They've been in the finals. I say every year. It's, I think it's only three other times. But that is... Like we're talking about the era of dominance of internet, like international dominance. This is call me daddy at their peak reigning champions. And on the other side, we have outlaws birds, which many of us will know now as two thirds of the mongrels. It's Dodie Morgan and picks against Luca Polo and will. And uh, well, let's just get this underway. They're really good. Both these teams really good. What, What were your general impressions watching this game? Honestly, this game has everything in it. It's high scoring. It's action packed. You're seeing Polo played at the highest level with the highest quality stuff. And I kind of love going back and watching this because it's, I mean, everyone knew Morgan and Doty and Picks were good before this tournament. People knew about these players, but this was really when they came on and said, you know what, this bike polo thing you guys play, this is ours now. (laughs) <laughs> and they've won every world championship since. I think they're three in a row now. So yeah. this is really the one that set that era in motion and made Mongrels United the brand that's known around the world in bike polo communities that it is. So it's pretty cool to watch. And honestly, this game has everything. It's a nail biter. It's a so fun to watch. All right. So let's get into it. 12 minutes in, the birds do a full court reset. Morgan takes whoa, the whoa, ball. Whoa, whoa, wait up, Alex. Alex, Alex. You're forgetting the coolest thing that happens before this. 11-19, Dodie does an amazing behind-the-back scoop pass. How can you forget that? World, <laughs> world-changing moves. It was actually a gorgeous <laughs> scoop pass, though. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Um, pretty amazing, nice stretch pass out from behind-the-back scoop. If we cover every great pass from this game, we'll be here till like you know midnight. <laughs> I, I did. I did record the stats for this game. There were 97 passes. Yeah. Not all of them were great, and we'll get into the percentage of completion later, but 97 passes. If I could define the just gist of this game, two teams that were very capable of scoring whenever they got a window, which meant that it was there were long stretches. Like The first point I put down here is 12 minutes in, and that's because the first 12 minutes of this game, you just have the teams kind of feeling each other out, testing each other's defense, and not... like. Lots of passes, lots of trying to create opportunities, and just lots of really good defending and not giving up a good opportunity. But 12 minutes in, Birds do a full court reset. Morgan takes the ball across half. Sorry, Alex, I want to stop. Before we dive into all the stuff about this game, 
let's just make sure people understand when we're talking timestamps. We're talking about the timestamps from the video, not yes. the time left in the game. So when you're trying to locate what we're talking about, look for the timestamps in the video. Now, one more great pass while we're on the topic. Luca does this double fake cross pass backhand at 741. It's a thing of beauty too. But anyways, that's enough of my beautiful play. So I'll let Alex take this away. Okay. There's a lot to get through with this game. But sure. those, honestly, the the standout passes, it, it was just too much. Like I was sitting there recording each pass and I'm like, okay, cool. Nice pass, nice pass, nice pass. Like it just, it, it got too, it got overwhelming. But 12 minutes in, Morgan takes the ball across half, beats Luca with not really a head fake, but it was kind of a cool thing that he did. And he is Doty with him. So call me daddy, classic call me daddy defense. One goaltender in the net, one one sort of second goalie at the top of the crease. And Morgan does this really smart thing where he cuts across and basically takes it behind the wheel of the second goaltender, kind of making that like it creates a, a shooting lane. Um, and he, he basically just takes a, a ripper of a backhand and beats the back wheel of uh, of Will to open the score up. So one nothing birds, just kind of the classic like you beat one player at mid. And this is the risk, I think, of the double goalie is when you set up like that, a, a player like Morgan that's going to be able to hit these like ridiculous backhands at speed. If you're planting your double goalie, you're going to get taken advantage of. No doubt. And I think that actually, if you watch the system that the Call Me Daddy is using throughout the game, they do this every time they can set up a defense in the half court. They're putting their goaltender on one side of the net and then kind of in the corner of the crease, their second goalie is out there. And I think they're doing this purposely because they're saying... If you're going to take it behind the back of our second goalie, you're going to have to take a wide angle backhand shot. And I mean, you got to give something up. Why not give that up, right? Oh, and, that that is a tough shot to make. Yeah. But Morgan makes it look clinical here. Yeah, he's like, just it's that just, good. It just he just rips it top shelf. Like it, it it's like he, it looks like he could do this all day. We know based on how long it took him to do this in the game that he can't do it all day, but it it was a pretty play. Mm-hmm. So, fast forward a little bit. 13 minutes and 34 seconds. Doty slams on his brakes in front of Will, who doesn't have the ball, and Will crashes into him. And this is called off-ball contact. <laughs> or sorry, Will is called for off-ball contact. This is just, I think this goes back to, this was an era where like obstruction was kind of new and the idea of screening people. Like I look at that play now and I see that as textbook. Doty's being a dick, slammed his brakes in front of someone that didn't have the ball. Like, so, like this is textbook Doty making contact off the ball. But this kind of goes back to like what what it was in that era, um, and it just it, it's really interesting looking at these games and how it's changed. Mm. But more eventful, fifteen minutes and twenty eight seconds. Morgan takes the ball across half and tries to lift the ball to play around Polo. Polo does this weird thing; he just sort of like taps the ball midair, and it just goes in the net, like from <laughs> half court. Like Morgan has a lot of speed; he's coming across. I think he's setting up the same way that he scored on the first play, and Polo just denies it perfectly really messed up my stats because I, I don't think i can count this as a shot but it de- or a possession but it definitely counts as a goal um yeah beautiful watching this one honestly it looks like morgan's trying to kind of quarterback the play both picks and Doty are kind of in front of him he's sort of the last backer there beside him and he's getting challenged by polo polo's kind of taking a risk here because if he gets beat it's going to be a three-on-one but uh, he doesn't get beat and he scores the goal. So risk reward. Instantly. Yeah. Like just instantly from half. He doesn't even, he, he just taps the ball at half and it goes in. Uh, so at 21 minutes, Will steals the ball behind his own net, but has Doty and picks all over him in the double team. 
He tries to pass it uh, across his crease to Polo, and he actually makes this pass, but it happens right as Polo is turning around uh, to get out of the, to go long for a pass, and it ends up bouncing off his rear wheel and just comes straight back to Doty, who he does a cool little tap and it sort of taps it down um, under his front wheel into the open net. It's it's pretty cool. Luca, the thing is, like I think nine, I think any other team, Doty just scores this goal, but Luca actually manages to block it. Like I don't know where he came from to be able to make this block because his team just messed up a pass in his own crease, but he manages to block it, but then the rebound goes straight back to Doty and he he gets the the double tap. No doubt. Exciting goal. Such a crazy traffic jam in front of the net. 2330, Luca is taking the ball across half in transition. And I think a lot of Call Me's Dad Call Me Daddy's offense was generated in, in transition. But Doty's mallet gets caught underneath Luca's front wheel. I think it's it's a pretty clear like this is just mallet in the wheel, but it actually doesn't get called. And there's kind of this weird thing. Basically, Doty and Morgan both get caught out of position. Like Doty kind of lost his mallet and like obviously I would say committed an infraction, but it catches the uh, Outlaws Birds defense completely out and basically Polo just is in on a on a breakaway and just rips it past picks for the to tie it up at two. Mm-hmm. Like k- kind of a weird goal. This th- this goal is probably the the weirdest just sort of oh that happened, but I think it just shows that when you have a weird thing like someone riding over a mallet and like a player gets taken out, it kind of broke down the Outlaws defensive s- setup and Call me daddy, I think, spend a lot of this game getting their offense stifled. But if you give any one of these players that, you know, five seconds with the ball without a defender on them in the other team's net, they are capable of just walking in and scoring. Um, and it's it's a testament to the Birds defense that this is pretty much the only time they get that the whole game, I would say. This goal, to me, I mean... Doty is taking that risk the same way Polo did on the last goal, right? Where Polo was rewarded. Doty's kind of facing his bike towards the call me daddy net and he gets caught out. He does his best to kind of 180 pivot and recover, but Polo's just too fast and he slams it front wheel gap. Yeah. It it's a it's a beautiful goal, but it's like these are the these are the margins that they're playing at. And I, I actually like Doty playing aggressive there. I think if you're the first you're the first defender. They're trying to come into your half. You know, you got to start playing defense at some point. You got to start pressuring them. And if you're the, you know, if you've got your someone in net and a second defender behind you, make make the play. You know, make them beat you. In this case, call me daddy. Did mm-hmm. uh, so. Next up, twenty six fifty eight. Um, or no, twenty six oh five. Right, twenty six oh five. Polo circles behind the back of the net. He's going clockwise and just as he comes towards the top of the crease you have lefty will streak across going counterclockwise it's a classic lefty righty play and it opens lefty will up for a nice open shot that he sinks five hole and it's just a nice drop pass in good rhythm the the only thing i can say about this is i'm surprised we didn't see call me daddy using lefty will this way more like it clearly worked here and they kind of never go back to it it, it, it's it, a lot of moving parts have to line up for this play to work, but it really lets them exploit the lefty righty dynamic. And I mean, it's super effective. There's a couple plays where you see like lefty wills definitely favoring that right side of the court. Um, and obviously if your lefty's on the right side of the court and you're on righty on the left side of the court, you both have your inside arms and they try to do a few cross passes there, but 
Doty and picks are just so long and so fast that they're disrupting those cross passes all the time. So I wonder, like, maybe that's why they didn't stick to that plan as much. Also, Lefty Will's their goalie most of the time. So, yeah, I mean, I think this just shows the difference between the cross pass and the drop pass, because I think the Doty and picks are so long and good at defense that they will disrupt that cross pass almost every single time. But there's nothing you can do about a well-timed drop pass like Doty is forced to play defense on a player that no longer has the ball. And that's what opens up the lane for Will. Yeah. The next goal here, I got to say, this is the highlight of the whole thing in my opinion. <laughs> this is the nicest thing that happens. Morgan takes the ball behind Call Me Daddy's net, kind of into Gretzky's office. He's shifting back and forth. He slips the ball out through the crease into the slot where Doty's waiting, but it's kind of awkward. It's going towards his rear wheel and he's per- he's parallel to the goal line, so he can't really get it. His hand's on the backside, so he hops the ball and then shoots the ball behind his back wheel. And hey, it finds the net. And it's just an <laughs> incredible one-timer play that he's shooting like a crazy scud behind his back wheel and he has to hop the ball to get into position. Really incredible shot and um Doty afterwards rides back to his net looking at the crowd like yeah I just did that <laughs> it's just such an awesome look yeah. hands up hey what can you do you can't guard yeah. me and he's right no one can guard him <laughs> welcome to the world championships baby yeah. <laughs> a lot I mean, of these goals I had to like use the the YouTube slow down feature just to yeah. figure out what the hell happened I was just like what did like I had to, like even to like 0.25 times just to see what happened and the the audio is crazy at that point. Like you hear the because there yeah. there are people doing play by play. When you slow it down to two point five, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. more interesting. I highly recommend it. I had to watch it three times to figure out exactly what Doty did, but it was magic. Yeah, you know, I just watched the whole game on that mode. You have like if you have three hours. Yeah, I I have a confession to make about this goal. I saw this my first summer that I was living in Toronto. And I, I think I've broke three mallets trying to recreate this. <laughs> like I, I have broken, I broke so many mallets the next summer, hopping my bike and just smashing them on my down tube, <laughs> trying, trying to recreate this shot. It is the way Doty does it. And he's, he's long. Like I can kind of do it. I was, I, at one point I cut my mallets down super short. Cause I thought this was like the move and it's really cool. And it obviously pays off for Doty here. This is not a high percentage play. <laughs> I mean, this isn't something he practices. This is just something like this is where the pass was. It's the only way you could make contact with it. So he did. And he's athletic yeah. enough, has enough hours on his bike that he manages to connect. And we're all lucky being able to witness it. I, I will dispute the fact that this was the, the best goal because at 29.05, Morgan is carrying the ball across half and just does the textbook bike polo toronto play you're on the right side of the court and you just do a big old stress pat or stress big old stretch pass at high speed to morgan or to uh doty morgan does the big stretch pass to doty on the other side and doty has probably the biggest rip one of the biggest rips i've ever seen like this is a full speed full wind up and it just tucks it under the crossbar from half like it is I I would describe it as fucking perfect. And it's 4-3 Outlaws Birds. It's worth pointing out, this is not a golden goal situation. They are playing for, uh, they're playing for time. So it's not next goal wins or anything like that. But spoiler alert, it's kind of next goal wins. Well, first to five. First to five, yeah. And 
I got to say that ball, when Doty rips it, it like legitimately bends in the air. Like he puts some side spin on that. It looks like a corner kick in soccer. It really does curve into the top of the net. The goalie had yeah. no chance. Luca's just there shivering, scared. He was as happening. much a spectator in that play as we were. <laughs> For sure. And that's no slight on him. It's just the shot was that good. And then uh, just, just because this game has everything, you would think after two goals like that, Call Me Daddy could pack it up and Outlaws Birds could just walk away with the championship. Not a chance. Not a chance. But exactly the next play, I think, at 30-20, Call Me Daddy are trying to break into the Outlaws Birds half. Polo is the ball along the boards and he makes a fast cut which kind of puts Doty behind him and Doty's trying to like reach around him and Polo's just able to ride past Doty. And this is where outlaws birds are playing the double goalie. Morgan is kind of at the top of the slot and Polo does exactly what Morgan did to, did to them rides behind the second goalie and just beats the goaltender with a shot short side, beautiful, just way to will your team to tie it back up in the dying moments. It's a bit different though, because where he takes the ball off the boards and cuts across, he gets to do a forehand shot in front of his front wheel instead of a backhanded shot. So I'd say the shot's a little easier to hit. It's something that he probably practices pretty often. But uh, I just got to wonder, like, why are both Mongrel's defenders facing the same direction? Like, their whole team's facing one way, and they get burnt because of it. I mean, he's able to beat Doty on defense, and it just... I think it's just a testament to the the offensive power of every player on the court that he's able to beat one player for a little bit. Like Doty is still tapping his mallet and trying to fight for the ball, but he gets that half of a bike length on Doty and is suddenly able to instantly convert that into a shooting lane that converts into a goal. Like it, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty impressive. I got to say like Call Me Daddy is definitely the more organized defensive team. It feels a lot like the outlaws birds are a bit more aggressive and a bit more kind of playing on instinct and call me daddy definitely has uh definitely has a system and they're sticking to it and they believe in it which is nice to see and it both systems work it seems like when you're athletic freaks i mean you can do whatever you want so after this it's 30 22 uh luca has the ball and he does this thing i've done this before he lets picks get close to him he's kind of the balls in the corner and he just lets picks kind of get close to him. And then uh, he just like hits picks into the boards. <laughs> like, like picks has no chance of reaching the ball. He kind of just opens the door. Like you're going to go for it. And picks is like, Oh, the ball. And he just like, it's not dirty, but I, it, the game definitely progresses into a much more physical point. And like, mm. I wanted to highlight this. Cause I think this is like a turning point. It's four, four. There's not that much time left. It's basically next goal wins. I can't remember if this is into overtime or not, but I don't think you could get away with this today. I don't think this is a clean play if you do this. Today. I think if you, I think you have to let picks get a lot closer to the ball because this play is basically, if you come close to me, I'm going to hit you. And I don't think picks ever gets a good shot at the ball. It's yeah. There's lots of back and forth between picks and Luca specifically. Like Luca's definitely the one driving the physicality in the game, but yeah. picks is giving it right back. And to top it all off with this increased physicality, it also starts to rain at mm-hmm. uh, 33.10. So it's yeah. slick, it's physical, tied 4-4 with like only a couple minutes left in the finals. What happens? So at 33.27, Dodie's trying to defend Luca, and he kind of T-bones him. It's, it's a weird... I'm not even sure this is the perfect example of that charge block thing we talked about where I think I think this is an impossible call for any referee. 
Luca's kind of driving around Dodie. Dodie's kind of trying to trying to stop him from getting to the net. They make contact. Luca goes down. You know, you can call it a T bone. You can call it uh, the the like a T. You can call it a T bone on either player, to be honest. Um, but there's contact, and Luca goes down. And for whatever reason, as Luca's getting up, he just uses his mallet to play the ball as he's standing on the ground and stops picks from getting a breakaway. Um, and this is immediately called an advantage for Call Me Daddy. I think you get a pretty big penalty for this if you do it now. Like, I think especially given the the stakes of the game, I know I'm assuming this was unintentional or just like an, a reflex. Like he saw the ball and saw picks, but like he was down. It didn't seem it didn't seem like he touched the ball as much as he just was put his mouth in the way. I mean, he didn't get out of the play. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, it, it, it's happening so fast and he, mm-hmm. he didn't see, but he, it didn't seem like he actually moved the ball or anything. Like he, he just put his, his mallet was, you know, in the way of, of, yeah, making picks. I think, yeah, picks making a pretty good breakaway. Yeah. I think the, the, the um, commentators at the time were, th- were saying like, oh, maybe a 30 second penalty or something, which would have been probably game over for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that there wasn't actually a penalty for this. And I would give a huge credit to Will from Mosquito because he went to Timaru to ref and he did a fantastic job. And I actually think like this is the world finals. It's tied. It's in overtime. It's getting super physical. And he does such a good job of keeping a handle on the physicality because I could easily see this game becoming, well, he shoved me. I shoved him back. Like, who do you call? How do you just stop it from every play becoming like a, a physical play? And it doesn't devolve to that. But I did want to highlight one particular example where it kind of does. And Will does a good job of basically stepping in right away. At uh, 45-50, Luca chases picks into the corner. It's funny. It's always these two. Um, and the ball bounces unexpectedly to Luca. And again, rather than riding off with the ball, Luca is kind of like, oh, I got the ball now. You want the ball? And picks tries to get it. And he just hits him into the boards again. <laughs> um and again, there's like weird, weird bounces or whatever. And it basically bounces out again between the two of them. And this time picks rather than riding towards the ball, just runs Luca off the ball. Like there is zero attempt to play the ball. He just runs Luca wide. And you can kind of see Luca gets pissed because then picks picks up the ball. And Luca's reaction immediately is just come in. It's a very late hit. It is definitely from behind. It is definitely extension. And he just like pushes picks off his bike from behind and immediately gets called for it. Hmm. And I think that's how that situation should play. I don't think if you're will, I don't think you can actually make a call on the first two plays. But if you see someone escalate it like that, you have to jump in immediately so that it doesn't get further. Yeah, I would say the same in similar sports. Um, You've seen, you know, when the commentators are like, oh, they're letting them play. Right. Mm -hmm. Because. Or yeah, especially in basketball, because otherwise it just becomes stoppage after stoppage after stoppage. Nobody wants that. No. And uh, I think this was a good example. Yeah, I'm glad you highlighted this as a good example of knowing when to stop play and when to uh, hand out some discipline. I mean, this is just two teams that desperately want to win in overtime in the world finals. It's you're you know people are gonna push and they're going to fight for bike position. Yeah. And I, I just, I think it's a huge credit to will. This is why you, you bring a ref as good as will to a, to a world championship so that inevitably when it gets close like this, you have good calls. And I, and I, I think he, he did a really good job here. Okay. Let's get to the 
the ultimate moment of this game here. What? How? Do, how does this wrap up? We're in overtime. Next goal wins. Golden goal. Who's taking it down? All right. So birds are up. It's forty nine thirty five in the in the video. Boards are up. Three up in the half court. Morgan turns to pull or he he like turns into Polo at the half court and they kind of get stuck on each other. But Morgan being as good as he is, he's actually able to hold on to the ball with like no momentum, does some stick handling and rides around Polo. Call me daddy have their double goalie ready and Morgan does his Morgan does his sort of dangle one way, dangle the other way um to Luca at the top of the crease and then he gets his backhand shot but Will blocks it. This is very reminiscent of the first goal of the game, but this time Will makes the save. And Morgan is able to get his own rebound behind the net. And he does this crazy thing. He like gets his rebound and just taps it back midair. Like I, I had to look at it a couple times. He does it midair while the ball's moving. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, but will blocks the pass and sort of pushes it into Luca and Luca kind of all of a sudden the ball is just materialized in front of him and he tries to ride off with it instead of clearing it right away. And Dodie just levels him. He comes in with a with a lot of speed. Like Luca's kind of, it reminded me of like this is the polo equivalent of in the NFL when a receiver makes a catch, but just like the defense has already lined him up. Like Luca gets this <laughs> ball and he's just a sitting duck in his own crease. And Dodie just comes up. I'm not convinced it's from behind. It again, it's hard to say. But he hits him off his bike. Luca Luca goes down. Does it you think he checks him? I think there's definitely I contact. watched it a couple times and I thought. Either like he ninja balls or his, I think what happens is that Dodie clips um, Luca's handlebars. I mean, either way. And that causes the jackknife <laughs> and the quick fall. Yeah, but either way, Luca ends up on That's the ground. That's what I think happens. He ends up on the ground. The ball rolls out and it's kind of, it's kind of this free for all. It's like hungry, hungry hippos. Like Morgan just whiffs a backhand. Uh, Dodie recovers the ball and then loses it into Pix's wheel because they all kind of converged. Pix like walks away with the ball. Luca's like sitting on the ground and Pix is like pointing at Luca like he wants a call for Luca being in the way. But this time Luca pretty much picks himself up and gets out of the way as fast as he can. Um, and Pix just rips probably the worst dis- shot decision of the game, to be honest. He just rips it super wide into the corner. Um, Dodie goes for it. Polo screens Dodie super aggressively, which lets Morgan get the ball. And all of this is to say that Morgan rides around Polo into the corner, picks the ball up super quickly and does sort of like a fake wraparound, which catches Will off guard. And Morgan does like the classic at speed cut in front of the net, turns around and just sort of uh, backhands it through the bottom bracket of Will and the outlaw birds score the golden goal to win in overtime 5-4. Almost like the first goal. Very similar. Yeah. Similar shot. <laughs> it's it's similar, but he comes from behind the net. Yeah. So it's kind of like yeah. a wraparound, but he comes, doesn't like try to squeeze it between the post. He comes around to the middle and does the backhand. If you watch the way that Morgan comes around the net, I think he's watching Will's head because Will can't look behind him. And as soon as Will looks away from Morgan, like looks to the other side to see for the wraparound, Morgan does a quick cut full control of the ball and actually gets in to, to come around the net on the other side where the goaltender isn't looking like it. I think it was a reaction and it's really well played. And that's the game. It is. But that last play, like honestly, it's, it's a bit sketchy. Yeah. Like, let's be honest, the whole Dodie clipping Luca. So he's out of the game and then the ball goes into the corner and um, Morgan gets it first and, 
Polo's chasing him, but then Pix is kind of setting a screen, but also kind of obstructing Polo, which is what gives Morgan the open look on Will, right? And it's kind of two, do you call it, do you not call it, that add up to a goal. I, I actually thought that Polo was screening picks, not the other way around. But either way, there's oh, no, definitely no. some some off-ball shenanigans. Picks is like hopping backwards to prevent Polo from getting him between him and the boards to chase Morgan. Yeah. Long story short, the game ends in, I think, the worst hug of bike polo where Luca kind of like puts an arm around Morgan and Morgan just like blows through it like a turnstile to hug Doty. (laughs) (laughs) That's Mike Polo. I mean, if you just won the golden goal in overtime to win your first world championships, I would want to hug my teammates first before, you know, (laughs) before I hug Luca. Um, But. Respect to Luca. Well, he didn't. For the hugs he didn't fast. completely ignore him, which is, you know, a lot of pro athletes would never do that sort of thing. I'm not convinced Morgan knew that Luca was there. He kind of just like his arm was up. It was exuberant. He, he wanted to celebrate funny. with the nearest, the, the most <laughs> yeah, closest person. I don't blame person. him at all for that. I mean, that's his first. That's his first world championship. Yeah, celebrate all. If you he want. did that on the second or third one, no way, man. That, then, <laughs> oh, that, no. that's a party foul. <laughs> So overall, uh, I said I would try to track some stats in these games. Shot percentage, I guess I was going to get you guys to guess, but you can you can see it here. So there were 71 shots taken this game, which led to eight goals, which is 11% shooting. I think that's just a testament to how good defensively these teams were. That shooting percentage was a lot higher before the second half of the game. When it got close in that sort of 4-4, 3-3 era, they, they were, both teams took some pretty wild, some wild looks. Um, I think they just wanted to close it out, but 11% really not bad. No, not at all for bike pool. When you think about it, especially when teams are both playing defense, the way these teams are, and are actually thinking about what they're doing. I mean, percentages drop a lot when teams are playing a structured defense like these guys are. And I referenced it before, but 97 passes made in the game, 78 completed passes, which is a total of 80% which I think really shows where this game is at in terms of just it's impressive. Like these guys are connecting on so many passes. It it makes me want to go back and rethink our, our passing discussion because they're so effective at manipulating the court on these sort of short drop passes, short, quick passes. And when they get in trouble, they just do a big reset and someone's always there. So I know we didn't say don't pass when we said uh, passing is overrated, but I think this has me rethinking like smart passes seem to be working for these teams. But you're also not seeing these teams do like point blank cross passes um, like deep in the opponent's zone, which is what a lot of what that discussion was about. The only times you see that from either teams is really only call me daddy does it. And it's usually lefty to righty. Yeah. And other than that, they just I don't think call me daddy. I mean, uh, the ma. I don't think the outlaw birds. Um, do any of those kind of cross passes it's all stretch passes drop passes pokes these kinds of things and those are the most effective passes and you can tell that it's effective because these amazing teams do them i will also say a lot of these goals if you listen to the breakdowns they're not being generated off of passes it's one player beating another player and then oftentimes the other offensive players are like pulling a defender away and creating a shooting lane but it's rare that the goals are being scored on passing plays or a direct result. Like it's, there's not very many pass to one timer shots. Well, both Doty, two of Doty's goals are one timers, the behind the back wheel and the massive rip. Yeah. Um, but those are both one timers. Neither of those are the cross court 
pass, right? It's sort no, of they're not. it's the the quick I yeah. It I don't know. We could we could break down passing even more. Uh total possession conversion. I was able to do this time. There were 68 changes of possession. Uh nine of them led to to goals, so that's 13%. Slightly different than shooting percentage. It's actually interesting to me how close possession and shots were because the possession changed. There was a lot less shots than possession changes for the first half of the game and then a lot more shots than possession changes in the like teams were shooting missing and getting their own rebound a lot more in the second half and it almost evened up in the end which i think is really interesting shot quality definitely went down as the game went Mm -hmm. on i think as players get more tired and as they start to see what are the chances we're actually getting they start to recalibrate what's a good shot And so those tougher shots begin to look a little bit better because they have this whole first half of the game where they say, well, we didn't get anything better than that. Yeah. And we waited. So I'm going to take this while it's here. And that's a calibration you got to make. And um, I think like against the call me daddy defense in particular, it was all massive rips and like tricky backhand shots. Those were the only shots they were giving up, but But those were the only shots they needed to to lose the game. So, but it's worth noting, even though the shooting percentage went down, the possession percentage didn't. They stayed pretty much on like the possession, like even though the teams were taking wilder shots, they were still able to regain that rebound about just as much as they would, even if they waited and didn't get the shot off. I just, I found that very interesting. I'm going to have to think more about what the implications of that. It means hard rips are good for possessing the ball, right? It bounces off the backboard and you, you get it back. Or these teams have really good forechecking. <laughs> yeah, that too. Maybe they chase really well. What are your general thoughts on this game, guys? Any takeaways that you like you thought of or player of the game or what do you want to say? I mean, Doty's shots in this game are just so fucking beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I think he's the player of the game, even though he's wearing gardening gloves um, or what appear to be gardening gloves. I think he's the player of the game. He has three goals of the five. And sure, Morgan has two goals and two assists, but something about the way Doty's scoring those goals just makes me want to give him the player. Of the I game. mean, Almost all of Doty's goals are off beautiful feeds from Morgan. And Morgan does open the scoring and score the golden goal. But, I mean, the quality of Doty's goals are just so nice. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to give anyone... Cool scoops. I don't want to give anyone player of the game. This this game was just wild to watch. And one of the best parts is it's it's, it's up on YouTube. It's finally free to watch. Uh, you should definitely check it out. Like, if you, if you want to see some good polo, and the coverage is good. There's multiple camera angles. You can actually see the action. Um, definitely, if you're going to watch a game, this one's a little long, but I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. So, guys, um, I had to bring up that scoop pass that Doty did early in the game. And Doty makes a couple really nice scoops. There's one where he's like, deeks one guy out, and then the second defender, he scoops the ball over the top of him, collects it on the other side. And it's just so fantastic to watch. But this begs the question, you know. Every time I'm at the court, there's always some rookie there practicing their scoops and some vet saying, oh my gosh, look at that rookie obsessed with scoops. (laughs) Now, is that, are scoops like overrated? Are they even good? What do you guys think about this? This is an age old debate in bike polo. I think if you want to win tournaments, you're going to win positioning and ball control win tournaments more than anything else. But having a couple tricks up your sleeve when you're trying to get around someone is really good and a scoop is a great way to just completely change the the predicted motion and throw a whole defense out off yeah liam what's your thoughts on the scoop the scoop it's it's what makes bike polo polo 
you know no one's <laughs> no one's scooping in horse polo no one's you can't they don't have the scoop the scoop is like the thing like bike polo invented the scoop right am i not am, am i right i think ice cream invented the scoop uh, okay yeah. well you know modeled after you know great artist steel and whatnot but i think the scoop is what makes it cool and exciting i mean earlier you were fawning over that uh, behind the back pass scoop that Doty did in a game. Uh, I mean, sure, it doesn't lead to anything, but it, it might, could have easily, you know, it led to a goal or something. Was the scoop instrumental or necessary? Maybe not, but it looked freaking cool. I mean, I think they are, I think they are effective <laughs> and perhaps lambasted for the wrong reasons. One of my favorite things to do is like when you're going into the corner and I know you can just as easily like, you know, do the old, whack it you know sort of scud it behind you but it just feels so much better to take that ball and scoop it and go and whip it around your front wheel and and, and go back (laughs) and just to think if somebody one times that in you know obviously the person who scored the goal is going to get some credit but people are going to say like wow that was a great pass you know as opposed to being just some person who's just like you know slamming their mouth on the ground trying to scud it behind them yeah if you ever want to lower the pass completion percentage on your drop passes but make them look really fucking cool just scoop it around your front wheel and then drop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of why scoops get this bad name is because, I mean, it's adding a certain level of complexity to the game. And if you don't have a really good scoop side of your mallet, they become a lot more difficult. So, I mean, if you're a player that utilizes a lot of scoops in their game, it's a big part of your game. You're probably a less consistent player, to be honest. And if you are as consistent, that means you're putting a lot of work into it that you might not be putting into other parts of your game. Maybe you're not maximizing the player you could be because you're focusing so much on scoops. Whereas like probably breakaway shooting and defense would be converting to more W's in the win column. But you know what? Scoops look so cool. And I'm the kind of person, whenever I see someone do something in bike polo, I think it's beneficial to try to copy it, emulate it, learn to do it, whether that's a scoop, a bike trick, a new play, a technique, a raclette, it doesn't matter because I want to be able to do everything that everyone else can do. And then I'm going to choose which weapons I'm bringing to the fight, but I'm going to have a whole closet full of them in my basement. Uh, That sounded a little weird, but you know what I mean? Like why limit yourself? You know what I mean? Like, don't say, oh, I'm not going to do that. When I was a rookie, people told me that pivoting was awful. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, you can practice pivoting and like endoing and wheeling, but is it really even effective? Like, just work on your shot. Mm. And and they could have been, they couldn't have been more wrong. They just couldn't do it. And that's why they scoffed at it. I, I think that scooping gets a bad rap when people do it unnecessarily. If you just need a simple drop pass and you're scooping it to your teammate, you're just introducing the chance of something to go wrong. But in a situation where you're being pressured, especially if you're being double teamed, Oftentimes, a scoop pass, even if it's not super accurate, you're being double teamed. If you can get it anywhere close to your teammate, they're wide open. You know, it's such a good thing to have. But, you know, as someone that has scooped unnecessarily and cost his team games because of unnecessary turnovers off of ridiculous scoops, I understand the frustration of watching a new player instead of practicing ball control, instead of practicing can I receive a pass at speed and actually control this it's, ball so that I could get a shot off practicing? Can I turn the ball over in a ridiculously stupid way? It's like any skill though. I mean, you can overdo, you can, you can be the person that's just taking rips from anywhere on the court. Like, or even if you have a super accurate shot, I mean, I don't know, like you can just easily overdo it. You, you don't want to be 
You don't want to be just doing the same thing over and over again because people will come to expect it. If you know, I think like the the scoop is sort of like a nice spice you can add to the dish or like you can like sometimes you go for the drop pass, but you fake and you do a scoop around. Like I think that can be really effective if your body language mm-hmm. sells it well. And if you're not always doing that because then the opponent's going to expect you because they're like, oh, he's going to drop it. No, they're going to just scoop it around the front again. So I think you need to be, yeah. you need to have some uh, moderation, you know, everything in moderation, including moderation, as they say. So <laughs> it can easily be overdone. I'm going to give something away here in my game, but I think I probably fake scoop more than I scoop. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I definitely scoop the ball and lift it up and put it towards the other side of my wheel, but I always flick my wrist and bring it back and drop it and like see if the person defender shifted at all. Um, I definitely do that a lot more than I actually scoop it over to the other side of my wheel which is interesting i do like scoops for some of the utility around um just passing the ball i find it very nice if i have timed if i can get it in my scoop side to i can gauge the distance and the weight a little bit easier i find when it's in the scoop side on my passes and aiming it's a little bit easier because i know i have a secured um the ball's in a consistent spot whereas if i'm swinging my mallet to pass the ball i mean if it hits the corner of my mallet or the base of my mallet head I mean, that can send it on a weird angle. So if it's in the scoop side already, scooping it's going to be a lot more consistent on passes if I have time to get it to that position. So I try to do that a lot. My preferred method of passing has become uh, sort of scoop shuffles or scoop flicks, like actually wrist shotting it to my teammates. I think you get a lot more power and accuracy uh, out of just sort of wrist shotting it or ball jointing it out of the scoop side. I think that's a great way to do passes. And I, but I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't count that time. I wouldn't count that as a scoop though. To me, a scoop is when you pick it up and oh, you, okay. you carry it like a lacrosse player and try to dunk on someone or break their ankle. It's also a good skill to use to remove foreign matter and objects from the court, be it rocks, mm, yes, you know, other balls, tennis balls. <laughs> like you're talking about picking up things <laughs> yeah. in the court. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to get off your yeah. bike <laughs> and you have to you know pick it up with your hands with a scoop. If if you have your good scoop, you can just. Like take that empty water bottle off the court in one quick flick of the wrist. One of my favorite things to do to troll Daniel on the court is because his mallet's pretty short. I will scoop his mallet in the end of mine and then play the ball with his mallet out of the end of my mallet. It's very, very difficult to do. It has absolutely no strategic utility and it really pisses him off. (laughs) All right. Well, that's just saucy. Why don't we move on to something a little more saucy and that is the mailbag. Mailbag. This email comes from my old roommate, a polo convert, if you will, uh, Ryan or Rin, R-Y-N. He writes, hey, gents, first off, thank you in arms fulls for this awesome podcast. I have yet to review, but I'll get on that self-shade in parentheses. My first question is, do you recommend a three-pronged strategy for beginner's offense? Those being a slow, deliberate z infamous johnny attack the one to the one to two pedal cranks and then shoot or one to two cranks then pass approach to increase attention to playing heads up second question is if you had a paid weekend trip to vancouver or montreal for a tournament which one would you pick well that's a good question lastly do you treat far commute tournaments like the dirty dirty costly slash tiring but once in a lifetime legendary times that will also lead towards bigger and bigger tournament wins that you'll moan to your grandkids about Alternative question. Legend has it struggling outdoor equipment store in Vancouver created a Sasquatch costume out of four or five different dead animals, then wore this costume at popular tourist hikes 
and it jacked up outdoor gear sales big time. I think of bike poles version of said Sasquatch as the latest power move or skill. So what are each of your secret skills to trying to develop or have seen on very rare occasion? Uh, cheers from Belleville, Ontario. <laughs> oh my God. There's a lot to unpack in this. <laughs> okay. Let's start with question okay, one, I guess. Sorry. We got to break this down. First of, first of all, I just have to say uh, the Sasquatch of bike polo is Navid from Toronto. Whenever he rolls <laughs> up on his, his tall bike with the sidecar that has the base and the lasers and the fog machine, uh, that thing is, it draws a crowd every single like it doesn't matter what if that bike if he's sitting there with the bike usually in a top hat and conductor's uniform <laughs> if he's sitting there with that bike near a polo tournament it draws a crowd yeah, every single time it'll turn heads so he's saying we should have some kind of freak attraction to attract people to the sport like a sasquatch like that would bring people in but i mean we already have justin <laughs> <laughs> zing half sasquatch well i think uh what he's yeah. Or like a flashy, like a flashy skill, skill we use to like wow spectators. Yeah, scooping. There you go. I, I, Bam. I, mean, I mean, yeah, scoop, scooping into wheelie turn, into other scooping, into other wheelie turn. Every time I see someone watching me practice, I just, I want to impress them. I want to be like, oh, isn't this cool? And I think that might backfire because I've definitely heard a couple people. I was in a bike shop today spreading the good word about bike polo. And I heard a lot of people saying, oh, I've seen you guys. You do like these weird wheelies and shit. I could never do that. And I'm like, I was the guy who told me that is literally a semi-pro BMX rider. And I'm like, dude, you can do it. <laughs> you should not be intimidated not by hard, this. Yeah. I don't know. My go-to is like I take it behind the net and I scoop it over the net and then I ride back in front and try to hit it into the air like a baseball. Like that's a pretty common one, but like it's pretty flashy. People like it. What do you think about some of his other questions, specifically this one about a paid weekend trip to Vancouver or Montreal? Where would you rather go? So I would definitely take Vancouver just purely because I can afford I can afford to get myself to Montreal for any tournaments that they throw and will get myself to Montreal for any tournaments that they throw. Uh, I am yet to play in Vancouver. I've heard lots of good things. Robbie Boards called me out on Facebook and said he's going to beat me and make me cry when we play polo together. So uh, <laughs> if I could go play in Vancouver, I got to I got to like, you know, we got to throw down and. I got to figure this out. Yeah. How does he say, hey, that other guy? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to beat you at polo. <laughs> and Robbie, if you're listening, I it doesn't bother me at all. I think it's hilarious that you called me the other guy. <laughs> it's awesome. So funny. Yeah. I'd pick Vancouver too for much the same reasons. I mean, I could probably ride my bike to Montreal if I really wanted to. Your polo bike? Um, I can't even afford a plane ticket to Vancouver. Well, I, I probably could, but it's expensive. You know what I mean? And you kind of have to make a plan for that because Vancouver's far away from Ottawa. It's like the other side of the world. So I definitely take Vancouver. Yeah. Go hang out with Wes, have some vegan cinnamon buns. And Gabe. It'd be a good time. We, Gabe's we, out there we've, too. we've lost a lot of really good Northside's polo players to Vancouver this yeah, year. Yeah, Scott's. Scott He's Hillier. Out there. Jesus. Oh my God. The thing that struck me with this question, I was like, yeah, I mean, a paid weekend trip, it really, it would just be for like, like what sort of expenses do you have? Like, you don't need to stay in a hotel. I'm sure somebody will be like, yeah, you can stay in my house. And like, I don't know, what do you need to buy? Like, I guess food. I don't know. Usually you have a network of people that can make you help you find the cheapest things around. And I don't know, maybe give you beer. <laughs> I, I feel like the biggest expense with any polo tournament that you have to travel or fly to is the travel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I guess you would be smart to take Vancouver because you're like, well, it's more expensive, but I don't know. Montreal's a good time too. 
You, you know what I will say, though? Montreal throw some of the best tournaments. Like, straight up, Montreal throw the best tournaments. Now, I've never been to a Vancouver tournament, but I feel pretty confident that they're not better than Montreal. Just based on my experience, I've I've seen wow. a lot of tournament quality, and I think Montreal is top tier. And it's hard for me to believe that Vancouver is better. Maybe it is, and I'd love to find out. That's not I'm not throwing shade at Vancouver with that. I I don't know. It just can't be better than Montreal. Poutine the net. Oh, was the hate mail is coming in already. <laughs> what do you think of the first question he asks? This three pronged strategy for beginners' offense. I'm assuming he's meaning three up for beginners. What do we think about that? I like it. But I think it's a little counterintuitive. If if you're trying to win as beginners, you probably shouldn't play three up. But if you want to get good at bike polo quickly and you want to learn the flow and the cadence of the game, trying to play three up is really beneficial. We did that when we first had the first iteration of the Honey Badgers and we kept committing to these crazy three ups and teams would just beat us and they would score the empty net all the time. But we learned how to cycle. We learned how to play that way and I mean, we learned not to play that way, but I think it made both of us better players as a result. No doubt about it. Yeah, I think uh, if you're a beginner player, it doesn't really matter how you play. It's just a matter of if you play and how much you play. And you know what? When you get your mechanics down and you can ball handle in front of your wheel and you're starting to mess around with wheelie turns, like then let's worry about the setups. You know what I mean? Let's worry about the strategy then because you're not winning any tournaments if you can't play the ball in front of your front wheel and your shots messed up so let's focus on those things first fundamentals I, I i love that ryan is already thinking about things like what is the optimal way like when i get the ball in the offensive zone how many pedal strokes should i take what's the optimal way to shoot these are all things that i think is worth it's really good to think about and you should try it. All I can say is you got to try it and see what works for you. See I mean, what works for the people you play on with. On his bike, his pedal strokes are huge because he's pushing this massive gear. So it's like <laughs> for us, what would be like three to four pedal strokes is like half a pedal stroke for him. And what do you think this? Yeah, he probably wants a quarter pedal stroke before he yeah, takes a yeah. shot most of the time. So uh, this last question, I guess, uh, far commute tournaments. And uh, do you think they're worth it in, in, in the grand scheme of... Uh, you know, getting bigger and bigger wins. Do you think you'll ever tell your grandkids that like, you know, I won Hello Meme in 2018 or whatever it was. Was it 2018? Obviously. Yes. 2019? <laughs> no, no. 2019. Yes. Uh, I mean. What else am I going to tell yeah. them? I haven't accomplished anything else in life. <laughs> it's been downhill from then. <laughs> that was my peak, man. That's all I have. The- no, I had a couple of Northside wins. Like, that's it. <laughs> the, the point that this is missing is that I tell literally everyone in my life about the polo tournaments I play in. <laughs> yeah, I think one of my favorite memes was like, um, I think it was on that wholesome meme page. It was like, after every weekend away at a polo tournament, it's like every text from a coworker and they're just like, did you win? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's relatable. Yeah. Whenever you tell them you're going for a tournament, you get back. They're like, oh, did you win? That time I could say yes. It's even, yeah. Most of the time I was, I don't want to talk about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Winning for us was winning more than one game on Sunday. Yeah. And we did that. It was great. And they're like, what would you finish in? It's not really like or that. It's like, or it's more like, did you win? Yes. What did it cost? Everything. <laughs> also, I'm going to need a few days off. <laughs> I don't know Never that I've, I don't think I have ever come back from a polo tournament i know some people do this 
I have never come back from a polo tournament that we played on Sunday and had to work on a Monday, or I should say actually made it into work on the Monday. <laughs> I have never done that. I have always taken that Monday off. I'm lucky I've been able to take the Monday off, but I just know I'm like, look guys, I'm not going to be here Friday. I'm not going to be here Monday. Yeah. And I think that if you can do that, you should do that because there's, I mean, I know I have driven back from New York twice with Nick now where we have left after the tournament, driven all night back to Toronto. He drops me off at my house at 5 a.m., goes home, feeds his dog, and then goes to work. I don't know how he does it. That's unbelievable. I'd be destroyed. Weekend Warriors. That's awesome. Let's get to this beer point, okay, guys? We've been messing around <laughs> laughing. It's good, but uh, I mean, this episode's yeah, getting edit out all the what, what, So this question that is not for the beer point this week, our last thing to finish up is, when did the modern era of bike polo begin? And I honestly think we can add to this. Like, is post-pandemic, when that comes, is that a whole new era? Like, the game's going to change so much. I think it will be. I think that we, I think we kind of, for me, I think I would say the modern era of bike polo was from the game we just watched when when Doty and Morgan won their first world championship in the post-obstruction era up until the pandemic and i think it's going to be a different game well i i know it's going to be a different game after the pandemic because this north side is going to be the best i like how you refer to new world champion obstruction is like the birth of christ or something it's like there was before obstruction (laughs) and then there was after obstruction (laughs) i think the game changed i think they're literally just different eras and and i would say before 2010 was also probably a completely different era i feel like there's the pre-2010 the obstruction era where you could just hit each other and then the post-obstruction era. Yeah. I kind of think of it based on the dominant teams. So I think of like call me daddy when they became the leaders in the clubhouse, that's the start of the new era. The beavers is a different era before that. And I think that coincides with obstruction rules pretty Mm -hmm. neatly. So I think like the beavers winning the world championships over and over and being the best team and um, the obstruction rules coming into play that signaled the transition into the call me daddy and now the mongrels. And I think those styles are similar enough that I'd say that's one era, but, uh, I think post pandemic is going to be something completely different. I I'm kind of expecting like a call me daddy two to come up. You see like Alex Vlaco and, and, uh, Luca posting a lot on Instagram. <laughs> They're really doing a lot for branding. And I wonder like, is that a new super team that's for me? I mean, Lucas still so young. Like, they could be around for a long time. So is Alex. But yeah. I think that there's something brewing in this Ottawa pickup scene with all of these new players. And I wouldn't be surprised if something, if a new force, a new dominant force on the NA scene is born. Right here. <laughs> you got one Ottawa. world champion yeah. living there now. You know, you obviously haven't been to our pickup in a long time. <laughs> I mean, Lefty will. He did move to like a 20 minute drive from the Ottawa club, but we haven't seen him yet, probably because of the pandemic. Hopefully we see him this summer. You can recruit him as coach. Yeah. The all lefty maybe. <laughs> we have the players. It's true. It's true. All right. Well, I think that's uh, where we can end this one. And uh, you know what? If you're still listening to this podcast, we thank you so much. On behalf of myself, Alex, and Liam, you're a rock star. And uh, keep your rubber side down because that's going to keep you safe. Uh, And remember, it's not about how many times you dab. It's about how many times you tap back in. Until next time, bye for now. Stay strong out there. Woo. Legalize scoop shots. Legalize scoop shots.